Hand in hand we walk each day. What a lovely song with a message that's very prompting and very compelling to be sure. It is so good to be able to come together this Sunday afternoon and for the purpose that we have come together without the official interference that for which we just thanked God in prayer, without the harassment that might well be the case in other parts of our country and certainly other parts of the world. This evening, as you appreciate the one-word title of our lesson tonight, we're going to cast a spotlight upon the Antichrist, a term that has much sensationalism connected with it, a term that has a fair amount of very compelling rhetoric that's often discussed in light of it. This opening slide will very generally present some of those ideas in this form. The whole idea that we at least most often hear concerning the Antichrist is a discussion that is rather captivating, that's rather sensational. It is in fact something that most at least will suggest will have to do with a set of affairs or events that will transpire not long before the millennium. Now that's the way the world so often hears it described. And there's a lot of falsehood about what much of the time is heard and tonight. I thought we would just take the opportunity to look at the handful of verses wherein the word occurs and see what the Bible actually teaches about it. For that reason, this next slide will seek to develop perhaps more carefully and also more thoroughly some of what is most frequently described as the appearance of the Antichrist. You and I may well have heard matters somewhat like this that when you get near the end of time, or at least right near the time of the tribulation with the subsequent time of the millennium, there's going to arise a, a rather world-renowned figure, someone who is captivating, who in fact can attract a lot of people, and they'll trust in this person. And they will in fact give to this person their confidence and he will thus amass a tremendously large following. For that reason, it is quite usually attached to some kind of a military leader, that he'll be able to wage victorious battle against forces, and that he will be able to acquire tremendous amounts of land and influence. You'll notice on that slide, in that kind of position, he'll be rather eloquent, at least we most often are, are in a position to hear, and he will be extremely persuasive in what he says. I've given you a listing over the years. There have been a number of people who, in one way or another, have been associated with, and some have even directly called them the Antichrist. The names are probably familiar to you. Names such as Joseph Stalin, the, the Russian leader. Benito Mussolini, the Italian leader, again of the World War II era. In addition, Adolf Hitler, again, of fame in Germany about the time of World War II and shortly before. Nikita Khrushchev, again, one of the leaders of the Russian Empire. Fidel Castro, the Cuban dictator. Henry Kissinger, oddly enough, an American statesman. George Bush, we remember him from the 80s and 90s, vice president one time and president again for, for one term. Bill Clinton, we perhaps remember a great deal about him. There were those who directly asserted that given his capability, he would occupy that position. Oddly enough, Prince William, 
currently, of course, one of those in line to the, to the monarchy in England. Finally, Obama, our past president, of course. You could almost continue that list. That's why I use the word etc. There have been many assertions made concerning the Antichrist. This is just a sampling of how men and various writers and those with an agenda have made a claim and assertion, and sometimes with great strength, about the kind of person the Antichrist would be and at the time that these individuals were occupying their positions of influence, there were some who asserted, this is him. This is now the Antichrist and the end of the world is about to happen. There have been many writers over the years who, of course, have written about the end of time. But could I say that this whole business about the description of the Antichrist is certainly one that brings us to note this. Under the character and banner of what attachments are made to the Word of God, the claim is thus made that this Antichrist will bring injury to the cause of Christ. With this mass following the Antichrist supposedly will have, there will be great hardship and in fact tremendous difficulty that the church, so we're told, will experience. Let me go even further. Based on Revelation 13, there are those who will make even an additional assertion that this Antichrist, when he occurs and when he rises, he will put in place a credit system that will highlight a particular number. It's the number from Revelation 13, 18. 666 the mark of the beast. Again, we're told by those who do not correctly interpret the Bible that the rise of this person will involve this number. What's more, you might appreciate that much attachment is made to Revelation 16, 16, where there is mention made of a battle, the so-called battle of Armageddon. And we are told there, finally, the Christ Himself will reappear and in all His glorious majesty, He will finally defeat this Antichrist, is the message we often hear. To say all of that is to say, you might pause with me and note, there have been series of books written that in fact will develop this and do so sensationally. Maybe you've heard of the Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. Having sold well over 65 million copies by this time, Last account I had, I haven't read them, but last account I had, it's now in its 14th or 15th volume. That's how much writing they've done, purporting to set forth, among other things, a rapture, an antichrist, the tribulation, and all that supposedly will surround it. I say all of that to say these claims are fantastic. Movies have been produced. Books, as we've mentioned, have been authored in number. And the claims that have been made have captured the attention of multiplied millions of people who think the Bible teaches this, who think that there really is an Antichrist like all of this seems to suggest, and that they need to be on the lookout for this person. As you close that slide with me, you'll notice on occasion a host of references biblically are made, and all that needs to be made, or at least said, in the mind of many people is, well, that's what the Bible teaches, and they believe it. As if these people have studied enough to know 
and are convinced in the proper interpretation that that really is what the Bible teaches. You and I know well the Bible doesn't teach a rapture the way they teach it. It doesn't teach a tribulation the way they teach it. It doesn't teach the millennium the way they teach it. And it does not teach the Antichrist the way that most often is asserted. Despite references to Daniel chapter 7 and 2 Thessalonians 2 and much of the book of Revelation. And in fact, tonight we're not really going to look with intent at any of them, but we will look at the only set of books in the Bible that do make reference directly to the Antichrist, called by name. Earlier this evening, it was read in our hearing, as Joe read for us from the book of 1 John. Would you be turning back to that place? And let's look at what is said in this book of 1 John. At the top of this slide, I list for you the sum total of all the Bible verses wherein reference to the Antichrist is made. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 22, 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, and 2 John, verse 7. Those verses include the word five times, and in them you and I will have the privilege of hearing what God has to say about the Antichrist. We shall quickly discover that much that God says is such that it bears very little, if any, resemblance to what men have taken the liberty to write and what many have chosen to believe. With that said, one of the first things we might notice is this. May I, in fact, read again those passages we heard earlier. Verses 18 and 19 of 1 John 2 read like this. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come... Even now there are many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. We'll read the other verses shortly, but we have read enough to put in place a couple of observations, the first of which is this one. The Antichrist of which John has by inspiration written is one that leads us to this initial and powerful observation. First, this character, this set of ideas is to accompany the last days. Did you know how the verse began? Little children, it is the last time. Other translations will read that. It is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come even now, may we lay emphasis on the adverb, now John wrote, there are many Antichrists. John purported thus by inspiration to remind us that these Antichrists would thus appear in the last days. Now, you and I at this point would do well to embed in our thinking the following set of truths. First of all, this Antichrist that was to appear, to appear in the last days, might you and I take note, we are, we are now living in the last days. We understand that because the Word of God puts it before us in the following form. In Isaiah 2 verse 2, the text we noted as a part of our lesson this morning, the inspired writer pointed out that in the latter days, direct statement was made that the law would go forth from Jerusalem. And so it had, and so it did. 
But let's add to that the following. In Joel 2, verses 28 and 29, that prophet of Pentecost highlighted abundantly that in the last days, old men shall dream dreams and young men shall see visions. At this point, the fascination reaches this peak. Peter quoted that passage in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, Peter quoted it. You might recall that there were those among that number that day that said, These apostles are drunken. Peter said they're not drunken. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Did you notice? He said this is precisely... This is exactly that which Joel had prophesied. But remember, Joel had said in the last days this was going to take place. May I suggest the last days began in Acts chapter 2. And we've been living in them ever since. We are living in the last days. But may I suggest Peter lived in the last days. Those other New Testament writers like Paul, they lived in the last days. It is nothing fanciful thus to make reference to anything beyond that. The Antichrist of verse 18, as there it is referenced, it says, It is the last time. You and I thus are living in the last days. We understand this. This is the last dispensation of time that there's going to be. Now, we don't know when this current epoch will end. God hasn't told us that. In fact, in Mark 13, 32, we read rather interestingly that, Of that day and that hour knoweth no man, not the angels in heaven, neither the Son, at least at that moment, did not know. But this much we do know, there shall be no period of time beyond when this age ends. When this current Christian era ends, that shall be it. We're living in the last days. And so, isn't it intriguing? that there are those who have sensationally arisen and made claim, well, these last days, this heightens our understanding of the need for the Antichrist. John said the last days have been with us basically since what we've just noted, and those Antichrists were present then. In addition to that, might we note the following? Perhaps interestingly, it almost stands... Oddly, that you and I appreciate what the Bible teaches concerning what we just read is so different than that sensational story that I noted earlier. The human family, in so many ways, claims there's going to be a single, military, solitary, risen figure who will be persuasive and eloquent and powerful. John did not say there's one Antichrist. May I invite you to note the language? He says, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. That word indeed is singular. He says, even now are there many Antichrists. There were more than one back then. It is not the case then that there is but one military individual who will rise and occupy a position of the Antichrist. John said there were a lot of them living back then. They were active and they were alive and well on earth at that time. Maybe, as you and I reflect upon that, that in fact seems to destroy very immediately much of this sensational nonsense that is so often proclaimed relative to the supposed Antichrist. John said, don't you know, little children, there's a bunch of them now. 
May I suggest there's still a lot of them. We do not look for a single solitary figure to occupy some international place of renown that leads people in mass following of the devil. The devil's doing a good enough job at that as it is. You'll notice on that particular slide, when John spoke that even then there were many antichrists, you and I might ask, when was the book of 1 John written? Among the books that John wrote, this one can be somewhat challenging to date. But this much we know it was written in the first century. And thus, even at that early stage in time, the early period of, in essence, the Christian era, there were many antichrists then. Isn't that intriguing? And doesn't it stand so opposed to what is so often proclaimed and shouted and talked and almost assumed as if it's true? Men have really missed the mark in so many ways in trying to state that which they would like to think is so concerning the Antichrist. You'll notice on that slide, point number three. What else might we say? Let's look back to verse number 19. It says, they, you might take note, that word they is a pronoun. It refers to those Antichrists. So if you like to take note of the antecedent to that pronoun, Antichrists, plural. And one more time, did you notice here it is highlighted that the plural pronoun is used they. It does not say he. They went out from us, but they were not of us. John has something rather telling to say, doesn't he? What was the origin of these antichrists? Where did they come from? Well, you and I might have some interesting questions, but this much we know. John, by inspiration, said, they went out from us. The particular time from which they had begun and that which prompted their motion, they had actually at one time been recognized in some regards as disciples of the Master. But they had become twisted in their theology. They had become believers in things that were not so. They had given their thinking to that which Jesus never taught. And they had begun to, in fact, practice and teach what was not gospel truth. And as such, they separated themselves from the nature of Christ's faithful followers. John said, they went out from us. Tragic, wasn't it? Sad to contemplate that the Lord's initial movement had fractured to the point where there were some who one time had been with Him. But they left. They chose to be apostate. They chose to be faithless. I would perhaps state at this point that we learn something somewhat interesting. The backdrop, the background, if you please, to the book of 1 John is such that there were was a reliance upon some interesting ways of thinking. I say it that way because there's much that might further be said, but perhaps in the time of our lesson tonight, it'll need to wait for a more extended period. You might go back to chapter 1 of 1 John, and let's just quickly observe a few of the things that had begun to be taught by a group of people living at that time. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1, the inspired writer said, "...that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. The idea that I would wish each of us to keep in mind, there had arisen, by the time John wrote the book we call 1 John, a group of ways of thinking in which there were those who appreciated that Jesus really hadn't become in the flesh. After all, He was God. How could the awesome, omnipotent God of heaven take the form of lowly, mortal flesh? And thus there arose a group of people who said, Don't you know, He really didn't come in the flesh. You just think He did. And all of those things that you read about was only an appearance as if He had. But He really didn't. Now you can imagine the kind of challenge and difficulty that would ultimately bring about if you could cause people to believe that, that He really didn't come in the flesh like you and I are then that means He doesn't know what it's like to live upon this earth like you and I live. He never really was flesh like I was. He doesn't understand the nature of temptations that I and you face. And therefore, how much help can He really be? That kind of dogma had arisen, and at least a part of that occupied a place that we call Gnosticism. There had arisen a way of thinking, and among other things, it denied that Jesus literally came in the flesh. It included some other kinds of ideas. But you'll notice that here, John rather correctly said, the folks teaching this are wrong. The folks who believe this are mistaken. And despite what others may say, we saw Him. We touched Him. We literally know that He was in the flesh. And John attempted to put to rest some of this false idea that rested beneath the presentation of Gnosticism. But among other things, you'll notice that Antichrists are now mentioned in chapters 2 and 4. And in this place, we notice the very word Antichrist. Isn't it significant? The word anti is a prefix that means against. And you and I know Christ is a reference to the Son of God. Here is a group of people who are against Christ. They don't stand for what He stood for. They don't uphold the faithful gospel that He proclaimed and that which He commissioned His apostles to teach. They have chosen to go out from us. As tragic and as sad as that was. It's at this point you and I might notice on the slide that this description of the Antichrists now takes us to the ending of verse number 19. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. If they had felt the faithfulness and the character and the truth, they would never have departed. By the way, much of that could still be asserted today. Finally, verse 19 ends like this that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. The truth will identify those who oppose it. It'll do so every time. A person who stands for what is not true, who upholds, practices, and teaches what is not true, they may conceal it for a while, 
and they may hold it under cover for a while. But there shall come a time when it will become evident. It will be made manifest. And here John says, it has now been made manifest. They were not of us. The Antichrist, of which we've read so far. Now take us to note the following. Second John, verse 7. Another reference to this very same word. Verse 7 of that little one-chapter book reads, For many deceivers are entered into the world. Who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh? This is a deceiver and an antichrist. John says it again. There are many deceivers in the world. And he says, All of those who do not admit and confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, they're in this category. They're deceivers and they're antichrists. That idea itself, again, helps put to rest some of that very unfortunate description that's captivated the minds of so very many. At this point, having looked at these three ideas, let's look at a fourth one. And I'll get some assistance to turn, to turn that particular slide to the next one. But as you look at this fourth point, we have just highlighted that there were those who denied that the Lord had come in the flesh. Let's turn back to look at verse 22 of 1 John chapter 2 and look at where the word occurs again. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. With our knowledge and understanding of that word Antichrist and the way that we have appreciated it, we notice here that John highlights there were some in that day who denied that Jesus was the Christ. In one way or another, that He had come in the flesh or that He was the Christ. May I suggest, doesn't that sound a bit familiar? Can you think of religious movements today that will admit Jesus was a great man, but that He was not, so they say, the Christ? They put themselves in the same category. Can you think of some religious movements who feel this way? Who will admit that Jesus was noteworthy and maybe a grand teacher, but they will deny that He was the Son of God, that He was the Messiah, that He was the Christ. And yet, we have in these texts before us that those of the first century who felt that way were antichrists. Maybe we should reevaluate. And you and I are so wonderfully able to do so using the Word of God that the sensational presentation of men is simply not upheld by the statements of the Word of God. In that fourth point, there's no question Jesus was a great man. There's no question that He, in fact, was noteworthy in so many regards. Philippians 2, verses 5 and following will detail, of course, that He left the portals of heaven and that He came in all His majesty, but He tabernacled here upon the earth. He was God in the flesh. At this point, wouldn't it be fair to say that to deny that Jesus is the Christ puts ourselves, anybody, in the same category as the Antichrist. And that movement that I mentioned a moment ago, think with me among other things about that movement known as Islam. They lift high Muhammad as the final prophet of old, and they are quick to say Jesus was a great man. 
but they deny He was the Son of God. What shall we make of that? You and I can use the Word of God and make powerful observations that anybody that would deny that Jesus is the Christ makes themselves against Christ and puts themselves in a position that they, you see, have some descriptions rather tragically and sadly directed their way as those that would deny the Messiahship of the Lord. These first four points have challenged us to reconsider the Antichrist. Point number five. I mentioned this one earlier. John does even more development of it as you come to chapter 4. So why don't we look at those verses as well. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 3. This is the last verse in the New Testament that expressly mentions the word Antichrist, and it reads like this. I'll start reading in verse number 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now doth, and even now already is in the world. I would think that's almost a statement of great relief to us. John said, you've heard, brethren, and it's already in the world, and that was true when John wrote. John wasn't looking for the appearance of some singular military individual that would occupy the role of an antichrist. And you and I do err if we look for that ourselves. John said in this verse, Every spirit, regardless of what motivates it, every spirit that denies that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is the spirit of antichrist. That's a rather plain presentation. Not for myself, but that's what John wrote. Could I invite you to note verse 1? I particularly did not begin the chapter by reading it, but it perhaps would be well to put it into our position at this time. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. There were false prophets alive and well in John's day. Is any less true today? Of course not. And could we now say that opening verse that kicked that chapter off would lead us then to appreciate this. Any particular doctrine or any particular presentation that again is false, inclusive of the nature of this business of denying that Jesus came in the flesh would thus be regarded as a false presentation. And you and I have to be on guard for it because many false prophets are going out into the world. I mentioned a moment ago the Muslim or Islam movement. But you and I could ask others, are you aware that there are others such as the Jehovah's Witnesses who think that Jesus was a created being and thus they do not consider Him on equal footing with the Father who is absolutely eternal? What does that say about this? Isn't that a denial of His absolute Messiahship? Because if Jesus is God, then He is eternal. As you and I reflect upon matters like this, the Antichrist, men have taken that subject and twisted it, perverted it, 
placed it in directions that the Word of God does not substantiate and does not uphold. Romans 8 verse 3 reminds us, among other things, that Jesus Christ Himself freed us from the law of death. We can enjoy life in His name. He came, did he, are we not told in John 10 verse 10, that life, and in fact even abundant life, can be had in Him. But that means we cannot be followers of Antichrist. And today, if you and I choose to deny Jesus, if we choose to, in fact, make thought that He was not the Son of God, or that He did not come in the flesh, or we array ourselves in light of those who pursue this which is false, then we're in the same category of those John described back then. As you and I arrive at this point in our lesson, may we rather loudly say that the world's idea of the Antichrist is just plain wrong. And yet it has been a particular matter of discussion that in some places has occupied rather high-level positions of international business and international affairs. But John said there were many Antichrists in his day. May you and I strive to be faithful, to be committed to the gospel, to be true always to Jesus Christ as the Son of God. You'll notice at the bottom I've tried to very quickly summarize the five points we noted. And as you think about the books of First and Second John, the only places that word's found in the Bible, we're reminded of the easy truth and the simplicity of God's Word. Man can make things so complicated. He can make things so hard to follow. He can twist it and pervert it in a host of ways. But let God be true and every man a liar. To borrow the words of Romans 3 verse 4. This evening as I stand before this assembly, maybe there's someone in this audience. Maybe it's not the issue of the Antichrist, but something else that the devil has brought into your life and you have fallen victim to it. You fail in lust to follow that which He brought before you, and now you realize you're separated from Jesus Christ that loves you. Don't you want to come back to a place of faithfulness and harmony where there's a peace of mind that passes all understanding, Philippians 4-7? If we could assist you in that way tonight, it would be our privilege. You need to repent of those sins and confess them. As you do that, God has promised to forgive you. It would be our privilege to pray on your behalf. Maybe you need prayers of strength. It'd be our delight as a congregation of the Lord's people to collectively pool our prayerful resources and petition God on your behalf. If we could help you in that way, won't you let us? If you've never become a Christian, though, tonight would be a sweet night for that too. The baptismal waters are ready. Everything is prepared. You could leave this building able to pillow your head tonight, confident and assured that heaven is your home if there is no tomorrow. If we could help you in that way tonight, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. And then once you rise from that watery grave, don't follow the Antichrist men talk about. Follow the Jesus as Christ the Bible talks about. And tonight, if we could be of assistance, won't you come? While together we stand and sing.